Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Before we moved into the warehouse and expanded to multiple campus locations, Rolling Hills met in a movie theater. And now we're visiting the movies once again in our series, At The Movies. Whether it be a hero's journey, a villain's downfall, or a fairy tale ending, everyone loves a movie with a good story. But every good story borrows from God's story. In this series, we're looking at five different movies to see how we can find faith stories in film. Now let's tune in. That's a pretty good intro right there. Hey, my name is Brandon. If you don't know me, I'm the College and Adults Pastor here, and it's a privilege to be with you guys this morning. We are in week two of this new series at the movies, and we're going through this series talking about movies and how you can see God's story um, in some of the most imaginative stories and great stories and movies that we've seen. Um, over the past however many years. And, and why is that? Because God's story is written on everybody's heart, right? And truth is truth. Even if someone doesn't know it's God's truth, if it's true, it's God's, right? All truth is God's truth. And so we see a lot of themes of the gospel and themes of God in some of these stories, right? Good versus evil, light versus dark, a hero or a savior, um, love, sacrifice. I think of movies like Armageddon, or Frozen, right? Fulfilling a destiny. They're like the same movie. Fulfilling a destiny, right? Or the purpose you were created for. You see discipleship, which we're going to talk about a lot today in Star Wars. But um, I also think like Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi, right? Like wax on, wax off. He's painting the fence. And the whole time he's being taught, um, being discipled and, and how to be a... Um, great at karate, I guess. Um, but then some movies, the theme is sin. All right. So this is not an invitation. We want to make sure we say it's not to go see any movie and look for the gospel story. Some, some themes in movies that are created is just sin and we need to stay away from those movies, right? Um, but why movies? Jesus taught in parables, right? And so he would teach in parables, and he would use the things of that day that everybody understood. Um, agriculture, seeds, shepherds, um, sheep, all these different things. We don't really live in, in that society anymore. What do we all know? We know movies for the most part, right? So that's why we're doing this series, um, because it's, it's fun, and you can see God's story in a lot of this, um, a lot of these different things. In fact, you see in romantic comedies or romantic movies, um, you're looking for that man or that woman to fill that hole in your heart. And when you find that person, right, you see it in like every romantic comedy. I think of like Jerry Maguire, 
um, if you remember that movie. I don't remember um, all that happened in that movie, but I remember at the end, um, you know, they were like together, then they're, they broke up or whatever, and then at the end he comes storming into the house, um, and it's like Tom Cruise's character, and I think Renee Zellweger is the other character, um, and he comes storming in, she's there with all her friends, and um, he doesn't care, he just starts going into this long speech, and at the end he finally just says, you complete me, and when, what is Renee Zellweger, she says, stop it. You had me at hello, right? But this is, this, is what we, this is the theme we see in those movies is that there's someone that will complete you. Now, we know that's not going to be a person. That's only Jesus that's going to do that. But, right? but this is what man is searching for, something to complete them. Our movie today is one of my favorite romantic comedies, Star Wars. And I just need to see, is there any like self-professed Star Wars aficionados in the room? Like you, raise your hand if you're bold enough, like you love these movies, you've seen them all. We got a couple. Okay, good. I just need to know where you guys are because you'll be the only ones disappointed today um, in the sermon. <laughs> you're the only ones I'm worried about. I, I, I will confess I've not been the biggest Star Wars fan um, in fact, I hadn't seen the original movie since I was a kid, so I've gone back and I've watched them. And I got to say, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I think um, this George Lucas guy, if, uh, if he will apply himself, he really will make it in this industry. I think, I think he's got a good thing going there. But I also, I know what to do with you guys to make sure you guys like this sermon. You will like this sermon. <laughs> you will ask Nick to have me teach more often. You'll stand and applaud at all my points. Okay. Sorry, that was, that was too easy of a joke. Um, Star Wars, though, really is filled with a lot of truth. Um, it is filled with a lot of truth, a lot of biblical themes you can see in this movie. And it mirrors the story of the world in a lot of ways. Good versus evil, hope, redemption, discipleship. In fact, this is really interesting. The original script for Star Wars started like this. This would be the first line. And in the time of greatest despair, there shall come a Savior, and he shall be known as the Son of Sons. Journal of the Wills 3, 127. Doesn't that sound like I just read that from the Bible? No, that was the original line. Now, after they reworked the script over and over and over, it became a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But you can see the original intent um, in where they were going with this Movie. Now, I know that a lot of you in the room probably need um, a Star Wars catch-up um, like I did, so we've got a video to show you guys. We'll hit this, and this will catch you guys up. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times, before the Empire. The first Empire. We cannot let a thousand years of democracy disappear without a fight. This part is over. I'm not going to wait around for the Empire to draft me into service. The rebellion is spreading. The time to fight is now. And I want to be on the side I believe in. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm stuck here. Help me, Much of his father in you. That's what I'm afraid of. 
You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. This is where the fun begins. And a cunning warrior. And he was a good friend. You were my brother, Anakin! I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I'm looking for a Jedi Master. You will learn from Yoda. Much anger in him. You're not all powerful. Well, I should be. Like his father. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Luke Skywalker. I thought he was a myth. The prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. The Jedi were real. I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo. The crazy thing is, it surrounds us. It's true. It penetrates us. The force, the Jedi. It binds the galaxy together. All of it. There is still good in it. It's all true. No. There is another. It calls to you. Cannot escape your destiny. Freak trap, kids! I am a Jedi, like my father before me. The Force will be with you, always. Right? That is awesome. What we see, and where I'm going to talk about the story I'm going to talk to you is like the original Star Wars, the story of Luke, of Vader. And what we see with Luke um, is that he has this d destiny to fulfill, right? Just like we have a purpose to fulfill in our lives, he has this destiny to fulfill, but he could not do it alone. Right? He needed to be discipled. He needed other people. He needed Obi-Wan Kenobi. He needed people to come around him. He needed Han Solo and Yoda and those two weird little robots and Bigfoot. He needed all those people to help him fulfill his destiny. Here's your first point. I told you I know what I'm talking about. Here's your first point today. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose purpose. I want to read you Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. Now here's the part I want you to get. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So every single person in here, God in advance has prepared good works for you to do. There are things you're going to do 10 years from now for the gospel that God prepared before you were born. How amazing is that? Uh, our, our college group, our young adult group, we're going on a mission trip. It's the first college and young adult mission trip that we have ever done as a church. Um, and we're going, we've got 16 of us going on a mission trip over spring break. And, and we're going to be going. And there's good works on that trip that have been already prepared for every single person going. We don't even know what they are. But God has prepared them in advance. We all have a purpose. And one of those main things, every single one of us, we are created to make disciples. 
We are created to make disciples. We see in Star Wars number four, the like original Star Wars, a new hope. It starts with this intergalactic genocide of Princess Leia's planet, right? And she sends for Obi-Wan saying, you're our only hope, right? He's like the only Jedi left. And what does Obi-Wan do? He brings Luke along. And he says, I'm going to teach you all this. I'm going to teach you how to be a Jedi. And he does, and then he brings other people in, Yoda or whoever else, to help train him up. It's a picture of discipleship. Here's your next point. We are all being discipled by something or someone. We are all being discipled by something or someone. If we're not being discipled in the right ways, you're being discipled by something. Well, what you're watching, what you're listening to, who you're listening to, who you're hanging around, we're all being discipled by something or someone, whether we know it or not. I want to show you real quick when Jesus called um, Matthew to be his disciple. Matthew was a tax collector, um, by the way. So this is Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Here's what it says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Real quick, I love this, by the way. Don't you love that we have a Savior that eats with sinners? Right? And, and like, this was the insult that they threw at him at that point. He's a friend of sinners. Right? That was the insult they threw at Jesus. Praise God for that. Verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's a guy in Matthew who has spent however many years being discipled by other tax collectors, by the government, by this area that he is in. And tax collectors at that point are known as the scum of the earth. Like tax collector and sinner are synonymous with one another. They would skim money off of people. Like they were, it just wasn't um, a respected profession. Jesus looks at a guy like that and says, yeah, I want you on my team. Right? And then he, as he did with the other disciples, he, he didn't go after um, the influential, powerful people. He, he went after the fishermen, after the sinners, like, like the tax collectors. He, he, like literally a couple of the guys are called Sons of Thunder. That was their nickname. And he, these are the guys that Jesus is like, yes, come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to teach you how to make disciples. And then you can see through the Gospels, Jesus he does it. He, he teaches them through a ton of different ways, through parables, through sermons, through healings, through miracles like the calming of the storm, through dealing with sinners like the adulterous woman, through dealing with people they were taught to hate like the Samaritans, through their doubting um, like Thomas, through their mistakes like Peter denying him three times and then Jesus is going to take him and reinstate him into ministry. And then after the resurrection... Jesus is going to be standing there with 11 of these disciples on a mountain. And here's what it says. I'm just going to read. It's the Great Commission. He gives them the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 16 says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. I feel like 
we often will take this great commission and think of it as an evangelism scripture, right? It's for, it's for going and telling, but you can't separate evangelism and discipleship. They always go together. You, it's go and make disciples. And when you're making disciples, you're teaching them to make other disciples and to go. So there's this constant circle with evangelism and discipleship. And you can just imagine this scene, right? Like, this is after Jesus has been resurrected. He's with the 11 because Judas is no longer part of it. And he's standing there with these men, and he's saying, yeah, you guys, go tell the entire world. Go make disciples of the entire world. That's a pretty big ask, right? That's a pretty big task. But what do we see now? It's 2,000 years later in 2023. There are believers everywhere, all over the world. Like, you can't go into the depths of the Amazon rainforest, traveling two days by boat to a remote jungle village without running into a believer in that village. There are believers everywhere. Now, why has that happened? Because we have had men and women in these generations before us who have taken seriously the great commission to go and to make disciples. And every generation continues to make and make disciples. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that story that God has set before. So here's my question. Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says this. This is Paul talking to Timothy, who he was discipling. He says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach Others. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, hey, these things that I have taught you, it's time for you to go teach some other reliable individuals who can teach those things as well. It's this discipleship. It's this making of disciples. Yoda um, has this great quote, and I'm not going to do the Yoda voice. That's where I draw the line. Um, but here's what he says. He says, pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, hmm, but weakness, folly, Failure also? Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. You see that last line? Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That's discipleship. I look at my, my two boys. I've got um, two boys, Beckett and Brady. They're seven and four. Man, I hope they grow way beyond me. I do. I look at our college group, our young adults group. I'm like, man, I hope all of you guys grow way beyond me. That's discipleship. We are what they grow beyond. Next point, we all have a role to play in discipling someone. We all have a role to play in discipling someone. In fact, we have a church here full of kids and students, college kids, men and women, new believers, lost people coming in all the time. We have a role. Every single person has a role here in making disciples. I remember I, I was a student pastor here for a long time, and um, I had two dads that wanted to be their kids' small group leaders. Um, and we don't normally do that. And the reason for it is we always want to have someone else pouring into your kid, right? Like we know parents are the primary disciplers, and then we want to bring other godly adults around them to pour into them as well, to reinforce what parents are saying. But these two dads were like, hey, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we do want to be their group, and I'm going to be intentional in uh, discipling your kid, and you be dis intentional in discipling my kid. 
and, and of course, the rest of the group as well. And I, I just remember, like, I, that is such a picture of what the church is meant to be, right? Like, we all have this role in, in partnering together and discipling um, each other in this place. Here's your next point. Our church gets stronger with every person who decides to participate in discipleship. Our church gets stronger with every person who decides to participate in discipleship. Why? Because we're stronger together. We are better together. We all benefit when we engage in this. I, I know for my boys, it's my responsibility to disciple them. But man, I, I am praying for other godly men and women to come alongside me. I, I, I know right now, I'm daddy, I'm hero. There's going to be a day where they're going to start questioning everything I say. It's already happened a little bit too early, if I'm being honest. And, and I need other men and women to come alongside and point them to Jesus. The things that I say to them that's going to go in ear, one ear out the other, but someone else is going to say it, and they're going to be like, oh, wow, that's brilliant. Like, I want that for my boys. This is what happens when we all come together and, and engage in discipleship in this place. But here's, here's the next question. Are you being discipled? Are you being discipled? Because we've got to be discipled to be able to disciple others, right? We need to be growing as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this quote, and I think it's terrifying, but also really good. It says, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Why? Because you have to lay it down. You have to lay it down and say, it's not about me anymore. It's about this mission. It's about this purpose that God has called me to. What we see from Luke is that with that right discipleship, that right community, he is able to fulfill his destiny, right? I know it's a movie, but it is similar. Like for us, for us to be able to fulfill our purpose, the chances of that happening if we try and do it alone, I just feel like it's real slim. We need each other. We need the right discipleship and the right community around us. Don't try and do it alone. We are better and stronger together. And it's not just better for you, it's better for everyone else when you engage. This is why we have groups, community groups, men's groups, care groups, women's groups, student groups, kid, like all of that. That's why we have these groups because discipleship happens in community. And discipleship, it's for everyone. It is for everyone, no matter where they are, no matter where you think you are. You might be in a place where you think, man, I, I have like messed up. My life has been a mess. I don't need to be discipling anybody. There's always hope. There's always redemption. In fact, we see this in Star Wars as well, right? Like Luke is battling Darth Vader. And there's this constant conflict happening. And I don't mean between Luke and Darth Vader. There's this conflict happening between Luke and everybody else. Where Luke keeps on saying, hey, I know there is still good in my father. And he keeps saying, like to everybody, like, no, I can, I can feel it. Like I, I've got hope for my father, which is Darth Vader. And everyone is telling him, it's too late. It's too late for him. Yoda's going to tell him, hey, he's like mostly machine now. It's too late for him. Obi-Wan is going to tell him, no, he's basically dead. It's, it's too late for him. The emperor is going to look at him and be like, you know your father's too far gone, right? 
Even Darth Vader himself is going to look at Luke and go, it's too late for me. The dark side is too powerful. We look at people like this a lot. Sometimes I think we look at ourselves like this a lot, but Jesus doesn't look at it like that. Right? Jesus sees tax collectors and said, come on. Jesus looks at a guy like Saul of Tarsus and says, come on, we're going to read his story right now. I want, to, I want you to see it in Acts 9. So I'm going to be in Acts 9, verse 1. Um, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul of Tarsus later is going to become Paul, but right now he's Saul. And basically his job at this moment in time is to destroy Christianity. Like that is his job. He's this high-ranking religious official. He's got all the backing he wants from the government, from everything else. And his job is to stop this thing they called the way by any means necessary. So he is persecuting people. He is imprisoning people. He is murdering people and having other people murder Christians. Like if, if Paul applied to be on this church staff, he would not pass the background check. Like we would not hire him here. But Jesus looks at this guy and says, yeah, I just see someone that's blind right now. I see someone that can't see. I just see someone that is lost. And look at this, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I love this picture because Paul is blind, but for the first time in his life he can see. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all about the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So look at this, Ananias, now a believer who, by the way, knows all about Saul from Tarsus. Every Christian knew all about Saul from Tarsus. He was the guy chasing him, right? Like there is, there is no believer that didn't know who that was and didn't want to stay as far away from him as possible. And God's going to call Ananias, hey, go make a disciple of this guy. <laughs> what? Can you imagine how Ananias would have felt as he is walking up to that house, oh, you know his heart was beating, just anxiety probably just flooding his body. But man, he listened to God, he trusted God, and he went. Look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul, now Paul, could see more clearly than ever before. Darth Vader in Star Wars is this guy, right? There's no hope for him, but Luke has hope for him and doesn't give up. And then what happens in the end? Darth turns good. In one final sacrifice where the emperor is destroying Luke, he sacrifices himself to, to kill the emperor, throws him down a shaft in that last sacrifice. And then as he's like laying there in his last words, his last breath, he looks at Luke and says, you were right about me. Tell your sister you were right about me. Listen, there might be people in your life that feel like, man, they're too far gone. No one is ever too far gone for Jesus. Your next point, no one is ever too far gone for Jesus to change their life. No one is ever too far gone for Jesus to change their life. There is hope for everyone. Paul on this day, his life was changed forever. And not in the way that our, any type of culture or world would say was good. Because he lost a whole lot. He lost um, power. He lost government support. Um, he lost comfort. There would be a lack of food. There would be a lack of shelter. He would constantly go through trials. Instead of being the one chasing and persecuting, he was going to be the one chased being persecuted. Paul no longer had comfort, but he did have purpose. Paul no longer had comfort, but he did have purpose. And Paul didn't do this alone. He had guys like Ananias, other disciples that came around him, Jesus himself. And then he's going to bring people in too and start discipling guys like Timothy. Paul wrote half the New Testament. We read words Paul wrote every single Sunday. In fact, churches across the world read the things Paul wrote every single Sunday. And he was the least likely person that anybody would have thought would be used by God. But man, that's Jesus. He said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There is always hope. Princess Leia said this, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you see it, you will never make it through the night. Some of you have lost hope in yourselves. That you'll ever get where you need to be. That, they, that, that God really has a purpose for your life. That whatever chains are on your life would ever be broken. But he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Our hope is not in ourselves and what we can do. It's in Jesus and his power. Paul didn't change himself. Paul didn't get his life together. No, Jesus changed his life. There was nothing Paul did. It was all Jesus. And then Paul writes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.10. That is why we labor and strive. Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who 
believe. There is hope for you. If you have a wayward child, there is hope. If your marriage is in shambles, there is hope. If your career has fallen apart, there is hope. If you feel like you are a disaster or that God is disappointed in you, I'm telling you, there is hope. We have hope because we have Jesus, and Jesus has already won the battle. This isn't like Star Wars where we're on the edge of our seats going, who's going to win? We already know. Jesus has already won. He won when he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death once and for all. So now there is hope for everyone. And here's what's amazing is that we get to be part of making disciples. If we will choose to engage, we get to be a part of making disciples, being part of this history of believers who go, who make disciples, who baptize, who teach each other everything God has commanded. Because when we do that, when we engage in that, listen, we get to be a part of the most epic story of all time. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for who you are, God. We are so grateful that you are a friend of sinners. We are so grateful, God, that we can have our hope in you because we know we don't have it in ourselves. We know we are not good enough. We are not righteous. God, I pray that this church, the people in this room, God, we would engage in making disciples. We would engage in taking seriously the gospel and reaching out to others, building them up in Christ. God, I pray for everyone in here, you give us an opportunity this week. Put something in front of us. God, if there's someone in this room who isn't engaged in this right now, I pray you put it on their heart to get involved, to jump in. Not because of anything they can do, but because what you can do through them. What you can do through all of us when we all together are striving towards the same goal. God, we love you. We worship you, and all of this we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with movie lovers, friends, and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.